Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Um, so in honor of my mom, I want to talk about when I was 16 years old, I've shared this story, I share this story probably like twice a year. So if you've heard this before, pretend like you've never heard it before. So I like 16, 17, uh, we were playing for Centennial, playing basketball. We were the number one ranked team in the state. Go Centennial. All right. And um, we went to Eastern Idaho. I can't remember where we were playing. It was a Pocatello team. It was Idaho Falls. Oh, it was Idaho Falls, right? The devil lives in Idaho Falls. Anyways, um, they were number three in the state, and my parents came. They were in the stands. There were several thousand people. And, and so I remember I was playing. I think it was, I don't know if I was a sophomore or junior. Anyways, uh, I, I tend, I'm a redhead. People sometimes think I get angry. I just call it passion. Okay, so I'm passionate. Well, the refs, I, I think they, they don't like redheads or something, but they fouled me out like very beginning of the third quarter. And I remember I had a conversation with the ref, blacked out. My coach was dragging me off the court. The crowd was booing me. I promise I didn't do anything bad. It was totally the ref's fault, you know? And I remember I was on the bench and, you know, it was just, it was just a crazy game and I was emotional and um, I get that from my father. And I, I just, I was just disappointed. We ended up winning the game. It was, it was a really, it was a really cool, ended up being a really cool experience. But I remember I was just, it was just a hard game. Little did I know that um, my parents were sitting right next to a couple and uh, the woman that was sitting right next to my mom was, I think, standing up and yelling obscenities at the redhead. Talking smack. I mean, people were just saying some hateful things, hurtful things. And my mom, and I, yeah, I love my mom. If, if you know my mom, she's, she's, she's the sweetest woman on the planet, right? She couldn't hurt anything. She just loves people. Come on, how many of you, you know my mom, right? She just loves people. She's sweet amazing, and yet this woman wouldn't, she wouldn't be quiet. She's going after the redhead on the court. So finally my mom had enough. She stood up, and again, some of you pretend like you've never heard this story before. My mom stood up, looked at this woman, and said, that redhead man, that's my son. That's my boy, and you're gonna talk, you're gonna stop talking trash about my son, and if you don't, we can take this outside. Is that true? That's true. And then she says something like, I'll cut you. No, nah, she didn't say that. <laughs> what? I didn't know about it, but my mom wanted to fight people that night. Now I know where I get my passion from, you know? What was that? Well, that's... I mean, we all know what that is. How many moms do we have here today? Someone messes with your children. What are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to mess with them, right? What is that? Well, there's a depth of feeling that is woven into the heart of a mother for her children. And so my mom had a burden. Everyone say a burden. 
And turn to your neighbor and ask them the question, do you have a burden today? I'm gonna call it, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna call it what my, as I describe it, my mom had a compassionate burden for me. She wanted to protect me. She wanted to stand in the gap for me. And she, she, she wanted to be there. She was my defender. And what I want to talk to you today is in my concern with the church in the West, can't speak for the global church. I'm going to, in our Western secular context, I am concerned as your pastor that the church in the West has lost its feeling. We've lost our burden. We've lost our compassion for people. My question is today, do we have compassion for people who are broken and hurting, who need defended, protected? Do we have a compassion for people, a depth of feeling for those right now in our city that don't know Jesus? You see, a, a, a burden, again, everyone will say burden. A burden has a depth of feeling woven around compassion. So when you have, when you have a burden, um, it's something that you can't tolerate that other people have accepted as fact. So I remember I went to a youth ministry a long time ago, great youth pastor, but we, he was walking me through his church and he said, Chris, this is my philosophy on youth ministry. And it's this, we know we can't get the kids. We can't teach the Bible. We're going to entertain them. They're going to sow their wild oats. And then when they hit 30, they're going to have kids and they're going to come back to church. And I'm, I remember saying, like, I remember thinking, homie, don't play that. I mean, you might accept that as fact, but no, there was a burden in my heart for young people. I wanted young people to experience the living presence of God. And I remember there's just some things here today that you just can't tolerate that maybe other people accept, just, I, just the fact of life. Some of you, you have a burden for people to steward their money well. Some of you have a burden for people that you just, you want them to get healthy in their bodies. And you have a passion for health and food and that's wonderful. Some of you have a passion for kids. You want them to grow up knowing that they're loved by God. They're loved by good people. We all have passion. We all have um, a burden. Uh, someone asked me, texted me a couple uh, months ago and they asked me the question, okay, when did you know that you wanted to be in ministry. And uh, I didn't respond right away and I thought about it. And I've come to the conclusion if I had to text him right away, I would have said never. Never. Like, here's the thing. I, I grew up a pastor's kid and I saw the shadow side of ministry and how people treat each other in the church and some of the hypocrisy. And we all say dumb things, right? I'm not judging anybody. We all, I say dumb things. You say dumb things. Some of you are Raider fans. That's dumb. Let's move on. Right? Joe Martinez just looked at me with that. I saw that face. Let's go. Right? So I, I, church life is messy. No one in here is perfect. Thank God for the grace of God. But I remember seeing the shadow side of ministry. I never wanted to be involved in ministry. I remember my mom would come to me and say, Chris, you're a Levite. You're going to preach the gospel uh, to, to, to your generation in the world. I'm like, no, mom, I'm, I'm leaving. 
Once I hit 18, I'm going to the East Coast. I'm going to get involved in politics. I maybe study history, maybe write some history books or whatever, but I'm out of here, right? At a little old town of Boise. And then at the age of 18, I was trying to figure out what, what school I wanted to play basketball at. God at a camp got a hold of me. And the only way that I can describe it, and I've shared this before, it was as if the curtain of reality was removed and I could see on the inside. Life is such a mystery and I could see on the inside and I could hear Jesus speaking to me. It was tangible. It was tactile. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And Jesus began to talk to me about the future and how he wanted me to teach the Bible. And my desire began to grow for ministry. I'm in ministry today, not because I'm a pastor's kid and because I had to be involved in ministry or because I thought it was the coolest thing to do. Hey, being a pastor is not cool. And there are a lot of days it ain't fun. I'm in ministry here today because God gave me a burden for people. And when we come to Matthew chapter 9, this, is, this burden is what shapes and drives the ministry, the public ministry of Jesus. I'm going to read Matthew 9, 35 and 37 again. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he prayed, Lord, send, Father, send the laborers out into the harvest. Everyone say compassion. Compassion is used nine times to describe the ministry of Jesus. Nine times. It can be translated, I don't necessarily like this translation, but it can be translated tender mercies. This word compassion is splachnesiamai. And it's a literal reference to the inner bowels of a human or even an animal in some cases. So a literal translation of Jesus being moved with compassion could read something like this. The bowels of Jesus were moved. There's a depth of emotion and feeling that drove Jesus into his healing ministry. I just want to make the connection that there's an intrinsic link between the miraculous and the healing power of Jesus and the compassion of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus was moved, not with wrath, but with compassion. In the Old Testament, the word compassion is rakam. And this is associated, I can't get into the etymology of the word. I'm going to nerd out. No, I'm not going to nerd out on you. I wish I could. But it's associated with the word womb. Compassion and womb are bound up together. So if you go to the Old Testament to say that Yahweh, Yahweh is compassionate, is to say that God is wombish like a mother. And it represents the depth of her feeling for her children. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16 says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet, this is Yahweh speaking over his people, I will not forget you. Behold, that's a big word, pay attention. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Wow, your walls are continually before me. 
Exodus 34, 6, we say this often. This is the most repeated verse in the Bible by the Bible, and it's a description of Yahweh. Yahweh reveals himself to Moses, puts Moses in the cleft of a rock, and he passes before him, and Yahweh declares, I am Rakam, the first word to describe Yahweh in the Bible is not wrath or vindictiveness. It's Rakam. I am merciful or compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Does God get angry? Yeah, he gets angry when creation is profoundly distorted by injustice, when human dignity and freedom is lost by the oppressive powers of the demonic realm. When we graffiti creation, when our lives are turned upside down by sin and the dynamics of evil that is lurking within human civilization, God gets angry. But anger is not an essential characteristic of God. Love is. Love. He is compassionate. Your father in heaven right now is compassionate with you and I. Can I get an amen? His relationship with you is one like, but infinitely more of a mother who is willing to hurt someone in order to protect us. Your father in heaven today loves you with an everlasting love. And it's this compassion. Everyone say compassion. Compassion is the cornerstone of the public ministry of Jesus. I'll say it this way. Compassion is the foundation, or we'll say the centerpiece of the life and the flow of the kingdom of God. Wendell Berry, one of my favorite farmer, poet, philosophers says this, life is a miracle. How many believe that? About eight of you, okay. Life is a miracle. You have breath in your lungs today. You know what I call that? Miracle. If you think about your genealogical tree and how God sovereignly took your great-great-grandpappy and he married the right woman and then their daughter married the right man and then you just go down the line and you begin to think about how everything had to be perfectly They had to marry each other and do what married couples do, right? And then get to finally you. You are, I just wish we would understand that our existence is radically contingent. The fact that everything worked out in your past to get you to this point is a demonstration that God sovereignly worked in your genealogical tree and brought you to this point. You guys are a miracle here today. I love a preacher just, just said this, and I just, I just heard it. He goes, you know what praise is? Praise is breath plus memory. Psalm 150 says that everything, everyone that has breath or everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So you add that praise or that breath with memory, and that gets you into the reality of the kingdom of God, and you begin to understand how worthy God is and how miraculous life is. Because if you think about it, no one in this room deserves to be here right now. Breath plus memory. There's at least four of you I can see right now. I know your story, and there's no way outside the grace of God 
that you should be here worshiping and singing and listening to this redhead preach. Miracles. We are here because of the grace of God. Miracles. Miracles, however, I want you to hear me, within the flow and the, the life of the kingdom, the dynamics of the kingdom of God, are predicated on compassion. When we think of miracles, we usually think of power, and that's okay. But I want you to kind of add another dimension to your thinking of miracles. Miracles happen. Your life happens because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus, who is running time and space and the universe, is compassionate. And he loves us with an everlasting love. So how does this relate to us? My, my concern, as I mentioned before, is that we've lost this compassion. This week, I, I was praying, and I felt like the Holy Spirit came to me and said, Chris, where's your heart? Where's your burden? Where's your compassion? I've said this so many times before, but you know what my greatest fear is? My greatest fear used to be public speaking. It isn't anymore, thank be to God, right? My greatest fear used to be sharks, okay? Still is. <laughs> Great white sharks. Think about them often, okay? Let's move on. But as, as a pastor of this wonderful church, and my concern as well as related to the churches in the West, my greatest fear is our hearts become hard. Bernard of, Saint, Bernard of Clairvaux spoke to this, spoke this or wrote this, excuse me, to one of his famous disciples. And he said this, I'm afraid that you will despair of an end to the many demands that are made upon you and become calloused. It'd be much wiser to remove yourself from these demands even for a while than to allow yourself to be distracted by them and led little by little where you certainly do not want to go. Where? To a hard heart. Do not go on to ask what that is. If you have not been terrified by it, it is yours already. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 says, we do not lose heart. What is your heart? Your heart is not just your emotions, your feels, uh, your heart is the essence of who you are when we think of it biblically. Uh, your heart is, we'll, we'll say it this way, is the exec, executive center of your bodily existence. Or in the words of one scholar, it's, it's bodily power. Uh, your heart includes all the different faculties. You are an interacting duality. You are breath, plus you are an embodied person. And that interacting duality is contained within the heart. Are you following me? Some of you are giving me confused looks. I'm sorry, I'll nerd out later on you. But you have a heart. That is the essence of who you are. You make decisions, you do what you do because of your heart. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, we do not lose heart. However, there are many people in the church who have lost heart. And when you lose heart, or when you lose your compassion, or when you lose your, um, your burden, you don't feel things for anyone anymore. A hard-heartedness is unmoved by things and becomes desensitized to God, to others. When you have a hard heart, you don't celebrate or weep. You just simply exist. You go from church service to church service to church service. You make breakfast. You'll go to Chick-fil-A, get good Christian chicken, whatever, right? You go home, and then you 
do it all over again, right? And we just kind of, if we're not careful, we can just exist and go through life without a sense of purpose and without the burden that God has for us. Not much when you have a hard heart can get in and not much can get out. This is why the, the um, Solomon, as he wrote Proverbs chapter four says, guard your heart from out of it flows the issues of life. In the 1990s, a neurocardiologist, or several neurocardiologists discovered that we have a second brain. It's in our heart. There are 40,000, if you don't know this, right, 40,000 nerve centers um, that act independently or interdependently of your brain. So you have your brain, and then you also have a second brain, right? I don't understand all the complexities of it, but there's something to be said about there is a deep essence that drives you. Yeah that motivates you, that moves you into the life that God has for you, that moves you into human flourishing, that moves you into the peace that only God can give you. What happens when you lose your heart? You lose the flow of the kingdom of God. Lose the flow of the kingdom of God. So how do we get a hard heart? Well, many people think, oh, well, it's, you know, gross scandal, you know, sin. Like if you murder somebody, you're gonna get a hard heart. Yeah, that's low-hanging fruit, right? Can I get an amen to that? Well, a hard heart just doesn't happen if you ax murder somebody, right? A hard heart can come through so many different aspects in our lives. It can, your heart can become callous through the grind of perfectionism and comparison. It can happen when you uh, fail in life or you become frustrated uh, with work or with family. Uh, you can experience a hard heart through betrayal and resentment. A hard heart or a callous heart comes through the continual stream and flow of conflict and disappointments. Have you ever felt that before or experienced that before? Demands and distractions in life. Too much YouTube, right? Too much Netflix. There's nothing wrong with it, but if you have too much, it can harden or deaden your heart. You become so desensitized to the flow and the heart of Jesus. Remember, if you're not terrified by a calloused heart, you prob probably already have it. And what happens is when a heart becomes calloused, it becomes callous because we're carrying too many burdens. Are you hearing me? This is why Psalm 55 is very clear. If you have an anxiety or burden, you got to cast it to the Lord. You put it at the foot of the cross. Because so many times we carry so many different emotional scripts, so many different burdens, so many different problems, so many different hard things, and we never give it to God. And because we never give it to God, it slowly desensitizes us where our heart eventually becomes like petrified wood. And yet, the good news is, is that God wants to take that. He wants to take everything that concerns us and he wants to carry it for us. Can I get an amen? He wants to carry the burdens that we have. I love Matthew chapter 11. I think we have this passage. I'm gonna read this really quick. Matthew 11, Jesus says, you guys still with me? Yeah. 28 through 30 says, come to me. This is Jesus. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you, my teaching, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke, my yoke, my yoke is easy, and my burden, 
Come on, somebody. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I, I, I love that, just that, that, I don't know, evocative picture of two ox or oxen, plural, singular, whatever it is, right? Two things, creatures, yoked together. And what they would do in ancient practice is they would take a younger ox and yoke it to an older ox. The older ox had the understanding of the rhythms of plowing. And by being yoked up to a seasoned ox, the younger ox learned the rhythms of plowing. The same thing is said by Jesus to us, be yoked to me. Give me your burdens. Give me your anxieties. Give me that perfectionism. Give me that frustration. Give me that sense of betrayal, that disappointment, that dis-shaped how you think about yourself. And then guess what? I will give you my burden. And my burden is light. It's easy. There's rest. Let me say this as, as I close. It's compassion that underscores the comprehensive life of God in the kingdom. Miracles and healing are intrinsically connected to compassion, having the burden of the Lord. So what does, what does compassion look like? Or I'll say it this way. What is God looking for from us today? I think God is looking for us, or what it, I think God is looking for from us is people who care, people who have an open heart. People, and I know we don't like this because this is the scandal of particularity. We think, okay, God's gonna use everybody, and I believe God wants to use everybody. Can I get an amen to that? I think God can short-circuit any, any hard heart. Can I get an amen to that? You know? I think God can, in sovereign ways and in, in, in even sometimes baffling ways, can move in us and bypass certain things that keep us from the flow of the kingdom of God. But I think ultimately God prefers people who really care. God is looking for those who are in this time and this, this hour who refuse to be indifferent. I think God is looking for those, come on somebody, who are bothered about people in our city who don't know Jesus. I think God's looking for people that care about hurting people. I think God's really concerned about those who don't know him, who are broken, defeated by sin, walking around trying to figure out, a, get, to somehow get a sense of purpose and meaning. God is looking for those who desire to become a vehicle or a channel of God's compassion to flow through them in order to bring healing. One, one preacher said this, prayer is not simply a place to lose your burden. It is a place, it is a place to pick up God's burden. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 11 13. Paul says this, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Could you say wide open? You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. Let's just stay there. But you are restricted in your own affections. So, so Paul is saying that the kingdom of God is restricted by our capacity? Yeah. 
What's that, what's that word affection? It's compassion. We are restricted in the flow of the kingdom of God by the level of our compassion. I read this this week and I'm like, God, give me my burden back. Fill me with your heart for people who are broken, hurting, need Jesus. Those who are struggling, we're, we're living in a pandemic of anxiety and loneliness. God's called us to be healers. Jesus was moved with compassion for those who were harassed and then he said, pray to your father to send out laborers who have my compassion. We're living in a day and an age where the purposes of God demand the people of God to take on the heart of God. When we take on the heart of God, that's when the power of God flows through us. That's when lives are radically transformed by the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. I want my burden back. I want the church to get its burden back. I, I'm gonna end with this, and I hope I get a good amen on this, but we could come and we could sing some nice songs and we can hear this message and we can do nothing with it. And we can go back and kind of live a consumer life where we just believe that the pastor or the church is just a religious purveyor of goods and services and the pastor's here to entertain us. No one like that in here. All the other churches have those kinds of people, right? But we just gotta come and we don't do anything with the, the, the revelation or the information that God brings to us. And we kinda just, you know, we kinda do our own thing throughout the week. That's called consumerism. Let me just say this really quick. A consumer church will never have the power of God to bring any sort of change within their community. consumerism, and I'm not talking about you can't buy anything, you can't do anything fun or whatever. What I'm simply saying is if all you want to be entertained and you just believe that the pastor's here just to bring, and I'm here, right, because I love you guys, can I get an amen? I want to bring good things to you, but if we're not taking responsibility for our relationship with Jesus and opening wide our hearts to the life and the flow of the kingdom, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then what are we doing? Because consumerism and compassion are mutually incompatible realities. We can make a decision today to be a consumer church, or we can make a decision today by the power of God's grace to become a church of compassion. I don't want to be the church that's just complaining and criticizing everybody out there in culture. That's easy. Oh my word! Get on our computers and we're like, oh, this person and that person. And what about those Democrats? And what about those Republicans, right? Now, is the church called to speak the truth in love? Yes. The problem is so many people overemphasize truth and they underemphasize compassion and they don't realize that when they're speaking, they have no authority.
Because if all I hear from someone from the church is criticism, 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 I promise you, my heart's not gonna open up to the kingdom of God. Does this mean we just say yes to everything in culture? No. There are so many things that we will say no to, but we will always say no within the framework of love and compassion. Why? Because we have the heart of God. Why? Because we have a burden. And here's the thing, when you get the burden from God, that's when you discover your identity. That's when you discover meaning. That's when you discover purpose. Some of you are struggling with purpose right now because you don't have a burden from God. Woven into the fabric of the burden that God wants to give you for people is where you'll find your purpose. Am I preaching too hard? Like sometimes if we're not careful, we're just like, oh, purpose is in my mind. I got to get clarity about such and such. And that's true. But purpose fundamentally is something that God does deep down inside. It's something that bothers you. Man, I hate it when preachers do this, but I'm gonna do it. I don't wanna be a church that just, man, we're just speak to the choir and we sing good songs and we listen to somewhat of a crazy message and we do nothing. And we, we're just largely indifferent to the need of the city. God's doing something in this church, I feel it today. God's moving us into another realm, into a new season where our hearts are open wide to God's burden, which is light, which gives purpose. You see, when you have God's burden, you can handle anything. When you have God's burden, everything else becomes unfulfilling. When you have God's burden, you can get through the Monday blues. When you have God's burden, you can get through hell and high water. You see, it's the burden of God, specifically tailored for you, which provides the strength and the resources to navigate the complexities of our culture and difficult circumstances and storms and even good times. When you have the burden of God, you have purpose. All right, I'm done screaming. This is my heart for us today, that we would open our hearts wide. And we would ask, I, I don't, I'm not into manufacturing feelings. You don't have to whatever, feel something. Some of you are gonna feel something today. But I no longer wanna be a community of people that restrict what God can do because we don't care about anything but ourselves. God, this is my prayer. I wanna care about what you care about. I wanna love who you love. That's everybody. I wanna be bothered with the things that you're bothered with. I wanna be moved by your heart. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.